Hello and welcome to the A Block, everyone. Thank you for being here. As always, it is great to be a part of your Canadian football discussion. We always appreciate it. And we love getting your tweets on game day, which has been a lot of fun going into the 2021 season. We were hoping that you would latch on to what we're trying to do here, and certainly some of you have. To help us grow the podcast, though, let some other people know. Share the wealth, share the knowledge, share the friendship that is the CFP podcast here across our big, beautiful network and everybody who's putting lots of hard work into this thing, including myself, is doing this recording very late at night. Actually, after we saw BC and Edmonton go head-to-head out in Vancouver, it was great to see football back in Vancouver, of course, out there on the West Coast, and great to see new ownership coming in as well. Really enjoyed the interview. It was in the booth for that one on Thursday Night Football. Didn't really love the fact that BC couldn't put up points for their new owner, though. <laughs> that was uh, slightly frustrating because there's so much potential there. But Greg Ellingson finally looked like Greg Ellingson. Drell Walker had a bad drop down the right sideline. But other than that, it looked like he was pretty much back into form. He was running well and catching the ball. But they got to find different ways to get him the rock. But, man, the way that they were able to involve James Wilder Jr. at the end of the game, there was one moment that jumped out to me. It was just Trevor Harris, after handing the ball off, clapping and staring maniacally down the field because it looked as though he was realizing in real time with cameras around him for all of us to be able to see at the same moment, oh, I can just end football games by handing the ball off a bunch of times. And James Wilder Jr., when healthy, will just be too big and strong for them to bring him down to the ground. And he really seemed to enjoy the end of the game on Thursday night, closing it out that way. And he certainly looked like his arm was pretty live. So did Mike Riley. I mean, his arm was was pretty fresh. It looked like he was in better shape than he's been the last couple of weeks. But regardless, Edmonton gets their first victory of the year, and BC drops one at home as they get their first opportunity to come home. Next up, it will be, for those BC Lions, a trip on the road. They are going to Ottawa in a game that I am very fortunate to have the call of and looking forward to bringing that to you on CFL on TSN. And then as for Edmonton, man, they are back on Thursday Night Football. Uh, This time they are going into Toronto coming up. It will be next Thursday. So interesting matchup there. We'll see how the Yargos shake out against the Bombers and their rematch coming up on Saturday. Today right here on the A Block, I'll tell you in just a second all about our guests. But first, got to say a huge thank you to our good friends at Fox 40, of course. They are the presenting sponsor of the Canadian Football Perspective podcast, and they are helping us all return to play safely with their latest innovations, the Fox 40 Tri-Layer Whistle Mask and the Fox 40 Electronic Whistle. To check those out and much more, including coaches boards and all sorts of stuff that you can get for your nautical adventures, Go to fox40shop.com and use the promo code CFP15 at checkout for 15% off. And if you want some great beer, and man, their August lineup of new deliveries and things that are available at Sada City is amazing. Go to sadacitybeer.com. You know exactly where to get it. You know the deal. Use the promo code CFL. Gets you free shipping on your order over $100. Team up with a couple of your neighbors, your friends. Otherwise, get some great beer and watch some great Canadian football together because that's really what it's all about. Danny Austin is my guest today on the podcast. I'm guessing if you click listen or download, you probably already know that. But I brought Danny on because I wanted to dive deep into what has been happening in Calgary, Bo's broken leg, which we did not see coming. Why is Michael O'Connor not starting? And exactly how does everybody in Calgary feel about the Stampeders and the situation they're in? 0-2 going into a third straight home game to open up the year. 
I've already talked too much. Here he is, our guest on the A Block, Danny Austin. Back on the podcast once again, in high demand. Uh, I have seen you all over. You were on X's and Argos, I believe. You hooked up with our boy, Ben Grant, and had some fun over there. Uh, I like t- that guy. Yeah, he's he's smart, man. He does great work. We're lucky that he he actually reached out to us, which I think is the only person that reached out to us and was like, <laughs> hey, can I like contribute to you guys? I was like, oh my God, yes, this is perfect. So he's doing great stuff. You're doing great stuff as always. Uh, we'll push all of your stuff out here on CFP in the description, in the bio and all that good stuff. But thank you for coming back again, because man, you have an interesting team on your hands right now. <laughs> man, is it ever like it's so like I started covering this team in 2016. So I've only covered like pretty unimpeachable Stampeders teams. Like even when Bo went down in 2019, it was like good news how Nick Arbuckle played. And this is honestly the first time where it's like, oh, this is what it's like to cover a team with some adversity. Like, this is different. This mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's got me in some people's crosshairs right now. There's been uh, the good old social media fighting going on. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been fascinating. It's been super fun. And I, I do think that it is a really interesting team. I love that you don't shy away from that stuff because I just hate all conflict. So the second that anything happens, I'm like, I turtle and go, mm, this doesn't feel comfortable. I just want to go back and watch some more game film and hide by myself. But uh, we'll get to what's going on with the starting quarterback situation going into this Friday nighter at McMahon. Again, the third game in a row at home for Calgary. Uh, but first, I want to ask you about specifically Bo and the injury, because just before we turn on the recording here. We were just kind of bouncing around the idea that not all injuries are the same. And for anybody that thinks that Bo would have played in week two or even finished the game in week one after Charleston's knee hit his leg, knowing he had a break, that's so ridiculous because you don't do that with your franchise quarterback in week two of a shortened COVID season. Dickinson yeah, he's tough when he played and he believes in toughness as a coach, but he's not an idiot, Danny. So the idea that anybody would suggest that, yeah, it was definitely broken. They knew they asked him to play through it is ludicrous, is it not? It's asinine. Like, it's, I, I, I don't even know what word to describe. I don't know how it got out there. Like, for, for about 24 hours on Tuesday, I was off Tuesday, really bad timing. Um, <laughs> I, just, I, had, I had to do a video shoot that had been organized for a month. And, you know, you have camera guys, so you can't do it. But uh, Oh, what were you video shooting? I was helping out a law firm with video bios. Ah. Um, so I was doing, like, video interviews. Uh, not journalism, but uh, buddies, law firm law firm and he was willing to pay me so it had been booked yeah it had been booked for about a month and we had cameras and all that so anyway so it was my first question on wednesday it was like dave can you clarify because honestly i know dave dickinson that like i don't know maybe there's a coach out there who would put their quarterback in that situation i just did not believe for a second that the stampeders were aware um this is what we were saying like man a fracture doesn't mean there's a huge crack in the bone Mm -hmm. right like that we do i don't know the extent i know that the stampeders are pretty sure that Bo's not going to be out six weeks. They thought that it was sort of very deep muscle bruising or potentially soft tissue. So that's what they were looking for. And they didn't see the fracture. I don't know how much, you know, swelling would have done, but if you're not looking for a fracture and you're not doing an x-ray, then you're not going to find it. So I, I don't think there's that much controversy here. I, I, I don't like, I don't really understand why, like, as you said, if you know Dave Dickinson, he's a player's coach. He's a quarterback's coach. There's a 0% chance they're risking him in week two against the BC Lions. Like, it's just not happening. And, and Bo doesn't want to play in that situation. No. Bo just had the worst game of his career. He doesn't want to put himself through that. Uh, I think there's a lot to take from, from that game and from the decision-making. Um, they clearly must have realized that Bo was in really bad shape at some point 
in the game. And I think it does speak to, you know, their confidence in Michael O'Connor that O'Connor was not thrown in right mm-hmm. away. That's not to say that they don't think that he can be ready, but they clearly didn't think he was ready at that in that game. But yeah, I mean, look, Bo had an injury. There was, I'm not going to say it's bad luck. Maybe they should have done an x-ray. That's for their medical team to decide. But no, the Stampeders did not know that Bo Levi Mitchell. Um, I mean, when I was in university with Tyler Kropinia, he had his plant leg get submarined by a Guelph Griffin, and I watched his leg break and face the wrong direction. Like, yeah, there's, there's lots of levels of that stuff, right? And for Bo to even stand up after he got hit there, I would blame it on adrenaline, but wasn't really adrenaline. It wasn't like a high energy play. It was standing in the pocket, throwing a ball. I don't even remember if it was completed or not. But the thing that's amazing to me too, we forget when you are watching. I was actually talking to Dave Foxcroft, of course, our sponsor here on CFP with Fox 40 the other day. And I said to him, what's it like standing in the backfield as a lead official in the CFL when you have Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat flying off the edge to go and try and hit <laughs> McLeod Bethel Thompson? Because I'm like, you know that you're not in danger. You're far enough back. But you have the best seat in the house. We forget how physically freakish a lot of these pass rushers are. And I bring that up because apparently when Charleston Hughes is going at like 30% of maximum effort and not really trying to hurt you, if his knee just hits you in the wrong place, he'll break your leg. And like that drove home (laughs) to me how stupid and how violent this game is. And the fact that anybody walks off of the field healthy to me is incredible after seeing how little impact he tried to make on Bo and what it did. Yeah, I mean, I never thought of it that way. Like, I, I didn't – look, there's a reason I'm not a professional football player. I'm not seeing my teammate's leg get twisted backwards because that would literally scar me for life. Oh, I'm it broke me. Time. It was we were, in yeah. first, we were in first year of university, and several of us in the middle of a game started crying. Like, we're, <laughs> we're like tw- early 20s, and our friend who we lived with and was our roommate, Tyler Carpina, oh, breaks man. his leg – and we start like breaking down on the field and our coaches were walking around going, yo, there's still a game to be played. And I'm like, I don't give a damn, man. I'm like, I just saw my friend's leg snapping. Yeah. That's so, disgusting. It, yeah, it, it's it gives me the shivers. Yeah. And I mean, I was like, as for the chart, like, I don't think anyone is mad at Charleston Hughes for no. what happened there. Right. Like that was, it's bad luck. And I mean, I, I seem to be saying everything is bad luck right now, but like, I honestly, like Bo wasn't mad at the hit. Um, and I mean, we, I asked Bo, like the first question I asked him after that, the Lions game was like, are you okay physically? Cause like, we've never seen you play like that. And he was missing throws. Right. I mean, yeah. which I assume is that he couldn't plan his leg. Right. You know, his, his weight was off and he was just doing more work with his arm than he normally should. That's, that's sort of what I suspect it was, but yeah. I asked him and he literally was like, well, like Mike Riley's hurt right now. Like everyone's hurt, right? Everyone is hurt in football at all times. That's, that's my general impression. It is, it's an insane sport. Only crazy people play it. None Mm -hmm. of, I've convinced none of these people are just like normal everyday people because no one would put themselves through that. Yeah. And to your point, like you say that you're seeing that I went back through after, you know, hindsight's 2020 when I found out the leg was broken and I went, okay, let me watch the throws back again. So I watched every throw that he made in that game and it's spot on what you're saying, Danny. It was, he had no confidence in his lower body. He didn't want to rotate and twist and drive off of his back leg. He didn't want to rotate through his front leg, it, which totally understandable. Like when you know that something doesn't feel right, but the idea that he was even doing any of that with a broken leg to me is just, it's crazy that he was able to battle through that. But yeah, he, I mean, he was doing more with his arm than he should have. But the thing that really jumped out to me especially late in the game when they're behind and they're trying to fight back in is 
you know this Bo is this wildly entertaining gunslinger it's why we love him and it's why other people's fan bases hate him because mm-hmm. if he ends up coming back against your team like he's done to so many Hamilton games before where I've been calling the game on radio it's because he takes shots that a lot of other quarterbacks don't down the field and challenges defensive backs forces you to make a play we remember that play in Hamilton a couple of years ago where he just chucks it as far as he can Courtney Steven passed interference great let's kick a field goal and get the hell out yeah. of here and it's like he he makes you force the issue And in the fourth quarter of that game last week, when I started to realize he wasn't physically right, he would take the snap in the shotgun, shuffle backwards a step or two, not really do a normal drop back, bouncing around on his toes like he usually does. And he would throw a check down into the boundary to Antti Milinovic's leader, or it would be to Kadeem Carey. And it was just like, let me stare down the defense with no interest in actually throwing down the field and then find my running back for a gain of six. And he was moving the ball down the field. But at that point, BC was saying, go ahead, man, throw as many six yard checkdowns as you want. We're going to wait until the clock runs out and you can't win the game this way. So for him to take the easy stuff when he knows they want him to take the easy stuff, I'm like, that's not the way that Bo plays ever. And that's when I started to wonder what was up. Well, and it's interesting because like when you're watching and you're not aware that his leg is hurt, you, you obviously begin to construct narratives in his head. It's, oh, he doesn't have the Eric Rogers who he trusts to do that too. Right. Um, Or like, something's wrong with him mentally because he's thrown a couple interceptions and all that. And, and then we have a physical explanation for why he was doing that. And I, I, like, I was, I was not concerned after week one at all. Um, Like I thought the Argos are a decent team. It's week one. You haven't had preseason, whatever. And then I was deeply concerned now. I mean, I'm concerned about their playoff possibilities, but to be honest, like this season may be a wash. Like the, you know, like I, I don't think Bo Levi Mitchell is done. It's weird to me how many people are insistent on constantly writing him off and saying that the game has passed him by when, like, he's never been bad when he's physically right. Like, I just yeah. don't get it. Yeah. Um, and you you have a way more, you know, like, nuanced understanding of quarterback play. But, yeah, it, it seemed to me like he knew he couldn't make those throws. Yeah. And, I, and I think that if you're going to throw up a ball where it's, I'm not going to say 50-50 ball, but you know that your receiver is going to have to go up and fight the DB for the ball. That It needs to be perfect. Yeah. And I think he knew he couldn't throw those balls. So it, it forced the Stampeders into a style that doesn't – maybe it works for a little while, but eventually you get to the red zone and you got to get it into the end zone. And yeah. I think the Lions were very confident that he couldn't do that. It, uh, it kind of reminded me of something that I learned a long time ago while coaching kids' football camps, which is if, if a kid goes out there and – doesn't perform and gets angry or gets, uh, you know, sad or whatever it might be at the camp. That's okay. Like that's, that's a natural reaction. If a kid goes out there and they're having the time of their life, best possible scenario. The thing you worry about is when the kid becomes disinterested. Like when the kid is sitting on the side of the field and you say, you want to do, no, why don't you? I just don't. And like, as soon as they have no, and the, the thing that jumped out to me was when Bo lost the confidence to make those throws again, hindsight 2020, because we now know he was hurt. He lost interest in pushing the ball down the field. And when he loses interest in doing that and they're not challenging vertically anymore, it's a completely different looking offense. Like it's a complete shell of the one that we understand Dave Dickinson to run over X amount of years. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the thing. The most fun version of Bolivar Mitchell is normally the one where they're behind Mm -hmm. and we only get to see it every, every once in a while. But I mean, it's always when we were constantly having those Mike Riley versus Bolivar Mitchell, Michael Riley versus Bolivar Mitchell, arguments it was sort of like well the stamps at the time in 2016 2017 
were up by teams or by 20 points in the second half. So you never got to see it. So he sort of looked like just a game manager because that's what he was doing. He was running the clock down most second halves. But then every once in a while, you would get a game where they needed Bo to push the ball downfield. To do that little, like, when he has to scamper around a defensive lineman, find space and just, hu- like, like it's magic. It's it's normally amazing to watch. There's nobody more dangerous in the entire CFL moving towards the line of scrimmage. I'm convinced than Bo. Like every time that he takes, you know, shotgun five step drop, defensive ends fly up the field, and he sees a lane to step up and keep his eyes down the field. When he does that, he throws dimes. Which is why the Keontae Harden interception on the left sideline in the end zone was so concerning because. Yeah. That was him. As soon as I see Bo anytime on the television copy on game film, when he starts moving towards the line of the scrimmage and patting the ball like this and lining it up, as soon as I see that, I'm like, oh shit, he's about to, he's about to make a game changing throw. 90% of the time he does. So when he gets intercepted on that, and it was, I believe, interception number three of four, I'm like, okay, like, I don't, I don't remember seeing that, but yeah, when he is moving and bouncing around in the pocket, totally different guy, totally different player. And, unfortunate that we didn't get to see that really through the first two weeks in its totality. And now we have to wait until probably after labor day a little bit to see. And by that point, who knows what the record is. And then he comes back and he's battling as we get towards the colder weather. I mean, like you say, it's let's not call off the Calgary Stampeders season. There's lots of potential there, but they've certainly had kind of like the, the tie cats 2017 0 and eight kind of start where it's like quarterbacks dinged injury here, injury there, slow start turnover in this game that cost them close loss in this one. And you go, okay, what's, ha- what the hell's happening here? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I can tell you, I mean, the Stampeders, like Dave Dickinson in particular, like, like they lost by a combined, what, nine points, I believe. Yeah. I, I think I saw that earlier and they were, they had so many procedure and offside penalties. Like I, I honestly, every time it felt, even with Bo Hurt, they had a couple big plays, and then the next play they would lose ten yards on a you know on a procedure penalty or, or something like that. And it just they don't think they're that far off. Mm-hmm. They really like they really really believe that. And the question is whether that matters if it's Jake Mayer. And the answer is, I mean, we don't know. Anyone who tells us, like I've watched him in practice, sure, but um, if you're going to ask me, can can Jake Mayer win win games for the Stampeders? I have absolutely no idea. I think the defense can win games. I think that Kadeem Carey, if the O-line holds up, can can keep them on the field. But I have no idea if Jake Mayer's in. Well, this is uh, where we want to go next, which is, of course, the backup quarterback uh, that was listed as the backup quarterback who, when given the opportunity to be the starting quarterback and everyone thought he would be the starting quarterback, was not the starting not quarterback. Uh, yeah, not everybody. Not everyone. Uh, Danny was uh, – we were <laughs> talking about this before, and I basically said – you are someone, this is why I respect so much of your work, Danny, is because you don't jump to conclusions. You just wait until you actually know something or because you have good local sources, which is very important in modern journalism because there's less and less and less of that, that you lean on those local sources and trust them because you know that they're giving you good information. So, well, I am guilty of it, as many other people are, of running around waving the Canadian flag like we did for Nathan Rourke going, it's happening, it's happening, we're getting another one. You're like, no, let's let's wait because you're talking to people who are saying, just wait. Like we're not really sure. We're going through our process here, and the process ends up in Big Jake getting the start, not Big Maple Leaf. Yeah, and I mean, like, thank you, first of all. Like, I I never said that Michael O'Connor wasn't starting. I I honestly was just every like, 
You're anti-Canadian is what we're trying to say. That's... I hate Canadian quarterbacks. That's the thing. <laughs> I, when Andrew Buckley retired, I was, I was just thrilled. Um, no, I like, I mean, look, I, I honestly think that Michael O'Connor had an opportunity to win the job this yeah. week. Um, I, I do also think that it would have been crazy for the Stampeders to have just automatically named O'Connor. Like, have the competition this week. Make these guys work for it and, and reward the guy who does the work. And that's very much what I was told was happening. So, I, again, like, I did not say Michael O'Connor is not starting. I just said there's a competition going on. They're going to make that decision at the end of the week. And that's ultimately what they did. It was a weird week here. Like, uh, Monday's practice was canceled because of um, – because the, the forest fire smoke was brutal. Yeah. Then they had a practice Tuesday, which, as I mentioned, I, I was not there for. And then they had a full practice Wednesday. And, like, by Wednesday, I'd say the reps with the starters were probably 50-50. And, you know, I didn't count. But, like, Jake Mayer was more efficient. It, it looked The offense looked better under him. So I don't think there would be any surprise. But I do think that this was straight up. I don't – I how do I say this? I don't know how much the Stampeders valued the fact that Michael O'Connor has played the Canadian game, like if that gave him an edge, or if the fact that like Jake Mayer is the all-time passing leader at UC Davis, um, you know, and has played in some massive, massive games, and maybe he can make those adjustments if they keep the, you know, keep the playbook a little bit tight. Um, I don't, I don't know what ultimately went into the final decision beyond they felt that Jake Mayer overperformed, and uh, I, I do. I do sometimes think that people need to, if you're picking your fantasy lineup, take a look at the local beat reporters. Yes. Yes. Uh, because we're the ones who are at practice. And uh, I'm not saying that any of the national guys are, you know, wrong or always wrong or whatever, but the local beat reporters tend to, you know, not be relying on, on some sources, but have others who are on the ground a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, you're dialed in. It's natural, right? It's not an insult. It's the fact that you guys are there every day. And I, I know what that's like from covering the Tiger Cats when I was on yeah. radio. And I just had a better sense for them than any other team. It didn't matter whether it was just down the road in Toronto or if it was five-hour flight away in BC. I just understood Hamilton better because you're just there and you just see these little things that add up over time. But it is interesting to me the idea that, um, you know, I joke about Michael O'Connor being listed as the backup quarterback and then not getting the chance to start. We have this perception that if you're the backup on the depth chart and the number one goes down, that inevitably you just get bumped up. Sometimes that's true, but situationally in the Canadian Football League, I don't think that that's always the truth. And why I say that is that the backup quarterback obviously is handling short yardage for a variety of different teams, not in BC, not in Saskatchewan, not in Edmonton, but they're always in Calgary, yes. always in Calgary, like yeah. ev always. So you end up going with the short yardage quarterback, essentially. And like Michael O'Connor's a dream as a short yardage quarterback, because <laughs> he's, um, he might think that he's wiry if you watch him because he's so damn tall, but I've stood next to Mike. I've shook Mike's hand. He's a big dude. Like he is yeah. thick. He just happens to look long because he's a tall guy. So he makes a lot of sense as the short yardage quarterback, which is really what the number two is in Calgary. And then when you get the opportunity to open up the playbook at practice and see what guys can do, then there's a great possibility that maybe Jake Mayer just went out and won the thing straight up with some better throws and some better reads. But I also know, and this is what I, I kind of want to ask you about Michael as a, as a player and what you've seen again, because you're dialed in at practice and being around the team throughout training camp is I've talked to Mike before when he was at UBC. I've seen him at the combine and talked to him about the game a little bit. He's a quiet guy. Like he is Absolutely. so reserved and down to earth. And you might say, okay, well, he's 
relaxed and never too high, never too low. And that's a good thing a lot of the time at quarterbacks. But I'm just wondering whether or not that played in at all to the decision. And obviously you don't have an answer for this, but just the idea of that playing into the decision where you've got an 0-2 football team that might need a bit of an emotional jolt with your starting quarterback, your franchise quarterback down with injury. And inevitably in a football game where your starting quarterback's not playing, something's going to go wrong. So an offensive lineman's going to take a bunch of procedure penalties. You're going to have a fumble the one you shouldn't from Kadeem Carey. You're going to throw a bad interception for a defender you didn't see. You're, somebody's going to get injured. The game's going to slow down for 10 minutes. Whatever it might be, there's always adversity. And I'm wondering whether or not they looked at Mike and they said, we believe in you as a quarterback. That's why we sign you in free agency. We like you. We want to develop you and work with you. But you just might not be right for this situation, one that requires maybe a bit more of a verbal leader, a vocal leader, somebody who can get up, not necessarily in guys' faces and grab their face masks, because that's a, a one-way trip to getting beat up by your offensive lineman, uh, but someone who has a little bit more emotion to their game. And I don't know a damn thing about Jake Mayer, but I do know that Michael's not that guy at this point in his career. And it almost feels to me like outside of the actual on-field tangibles of what they saw in practice that helped them make the decision, it might have factored in too, where they're just saying, okay, how is he going to lead the huddle in a Canadian football league game with all this pressure at home with a crowd that might be hostile if Montreal goes up the way they did on Edmonton as well? Like that's a bad spot to put him in for his first CFL start. I almost feel like they might be protecting him in this spot. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent. So it's interesting. I talked to Blake Nell this morning, sort of before that final decision, just in case I needed that that story. And like man, does Blake ever have faith that Michael yeah. O'Connor is ready? He, he talks about him going to U.S. prep school. He, uh, I, I think that Michael, as you said, he's, he's quiet, and I'm not saying to a fault, but, like, as a media guy, he's quiet where you're like, come on, man, like, give me something, right? Like, he is... <laughs> video of Bo announcing that his leg was broken and Michael <laughs> O'Connor sitting at the desk looked like a hostage video. Oh, it was, it was wild. And, <laughs> yeah. And Jake Mayer is not that. And, I mean, Jake... Like, honestly, watch his best media availability I've ever had with a quarterback. He's just, he's so good and so about positive thinking and all that. I will say that Dickinson was asked, and I, I can just read you the quote, because I, I think it's interesting in relation to what you're saying. He was like, honestly, I don't care if they're calm or not. I just want production. Michael's a good player as well. He's ready to go. I just want the, the guy in your huddle, the guys in your huddle to have faith in your quarterback. That's the big thing. You can be calm. You can be jacked. Everyone has their own personality. I know I was different than Jeff Garcia in the huddle and felt like both of us could get the job done. I'm similar with this group. Just go out there and be yourself. Make the plays that are there. Trust what you see and let it go. Interesting. So that's a but. I mean, what's Dave going to say, right? I mean, like, there's always a, oh, I appreciate you giving me a great quote, but you're also not going to come out and say, like, well, you know, if if Michael had a bigger personality, he'd be in. Like, that's you're not going <laughs> to, yeah. you know. Yeah. But um, but I do think that's that's there. Um, it, it's hard for me to say when it comes to that personality stuff, but Jake definitely gives off that air of, you know. I was the starting quarterback at a college school was probably a bit like, I believe in myself. I know what I can, you know, I know what I'm capable of. And Michael is quieter and more analytical. And um, again, I, I firmly believe that Michael O'Connor will one day, whether it's for the Stampeders or someone else, I, I believe he's going to start for this team. It could be as early as next week if Jake Mayer plays badly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I as far as I know, it was one in practice. It was the throws that they made. So Interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just such an interesting dynamic when you have a franchise guy that everybody knows and wants success for 
a backup Canadian kid who's not just your typical Canadian quarterback. He's this big monster with American, you know, high school and oh, otherwise yeah. training in Penn State and UBC and Vanier Cup 2015 and all these. He's he's not your average guy. And then you got this rambunctious 88 touchdown, 33 interception, all these <laughs> yards, all this school record stuff from from Cal Davis down there. And it's like, man, that's it's amazing to think of that quarterback room and the dynamic because when you're going into training camp you're thinking okay dakota prukop's in here as well we got Bo. let's figure out the rest and we'll see how it goes but you know dave said throughout training camp when Bo was dealing with the grind like i know what i got in Bo. i don't i don't really have to worry about that it's the other guys we got to sit, sit down for a couple of days here and like well, well now you got to worry like, about Bo, and now you got to figure out what's behind Bo, and you got to do it on the fly it's like man that's a tough spot to be in and it's a question that's not even worth me asking ever because I'm not going to get a straight answer. But, I mean, I am curious. Like, if they, you know, if they could have looked into the future, I think Dakota Prukop was clearly the most CFL-ready right now, if you mm. want my honest. I mean, I don't – I can't say that for sure, but he's got the experience. He's played. I mean, the fact that Edmonton picked him up so quickly speaks to the fact that, you know, it wasn't – I'm not alone in thinking he looked he's, – he's pretty decent. Um you know, it'd be hilarious if he's starting Labor Day against Jake Mayer, <laughs> who has seen that coming. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'd be curious if they would have kept him had they had any idea that, you know, Bo was about to fracture his fibula. Because, you know, like, I ultimately, I, I, you can probably win with either of these guys. I'm not trying to say you can't, but I'm sure they would have liked more time. And anyone who wants to compare this to the Nick Arbuckle situation, Nick Arbuckle was the backup quarterback for an entire season like he knew the system he was ready to come in and play and i'm not saying neither of these guys are but you know the resume says suggests that they're not ready for it the way that arbuckle was yeah vastly different situation for sure what uh what are the attributes of jake mara what should people be looking for in this friday night game from what you've seen of him at practice and throughout training camp yeah so he's a smaller guy right he's six feet tall um it's very funny like the way that it was described to me by bo levi mitchell was of the three he was most similar to Bo. Like he, he moves around the pocket a little bit, but only the upgrade. Don't expect him to be running 30 yards, big arm, uh, loves to huck the ball, but is, is similar to Bo. Like that's, that's honestly the, the one thing that we've got in is, um, he's not going to, he's not going to get you that many yards with his feet, but he's not the, the big thing that everyone gets wrong about Bo is Bo moves just fine. Yeah. He just, he moves in the pocket, moves in and out of the pocket. He just doesn't take off for yards. And I think that's Jake Mayer, but uh, man, like accurate with his throws. Like he, he is, he hits the receivers in practice. Um, so it's hard from where we are to actually get an idea of like how he, right. how he is going through his read progressions and all that. But um, like from my did not play college quarterback, like you did, um, like, I don't think, hitting the receivers is going to be the issue with him. Yeah. And that's interesting because my, my next, I guess, thought that we'll have to watch when we go into game on Friday here is, um, is decision-making, right? Because if you can hit the receivers and you're accurate and you can move around the pocket, then it's a lot to work with there. And it's just a matter of whether or not you can get through progressions and understand what Dave is throwing at you and how much he keeps in the game plan and how regular it is and how much he peels it back. And the play card on his wrist goes back a couple of steps. I don't know. We'll see, but uh, it will, it will be a lot of fun to see his progression. Cause honestly, I did not have on my bingo card week three of the CFL. Cause we looked across the CFL Danny at the start of the year. And we went, yeah, we know who all of the starters are outside of maybe Toronto and maybe Hamilton. But even then, there were strong leanings as to who we thought would start the season. 
I didn't have my bingo card week three guy. I know absolutely nothing about that. I've never seen make a single throw starting in a game on Friday night football. Yeah. And like when we did, when we talked preseason, like the thing that I said was, I was like, I think the Stampeders are fine as long as they're like their key vets stay healthy. Well, Jamar Wall's our defensive captain. He's out for six weeks. Now Bo's out for six weeks. I mean, like, this has been about as disastrous a start as, as you can get. And it's not just that Jake Mayer is getting his first start. Leon Johnson is starting at left tackle because Ukambre Williams is out. It's his first CFL start. So you've got a really good Montreal pass rush. I mean, at least against Edmonton. They yep. looked good. Um, against uh, a rookie left tackle and Julian Good-Jones, who's over on a right tackle. Has, hasn't practiced this week because of illness. So they may have to play Bryce Bell, who's a rookie playing his first game and is normally supposed to be a guard. I so, didn't even know Bryce Bell was out there. He's a Laurier boy, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I believe so. So, <laughs> uh, um, And they did. I mean, they said they drafted him for his versatility, but it's possible that, like, again, Neela Kazatati was supposed to be there, retired. It's possible that they're on their third option at right tackle and their second option at left tackle with a rookie quarterback. Like, people want me to say that this game is going to be interesting and like maybe it is but josh huff is sick like it's possible that the stampeders just don't have the horses right now nice nicely done that i don't want you to spoil the leading your article coming out on friday <laughs> no. night man come on save the good stuff for the print okay i didn't even no. buy you anything here so <laughs> in calgary uh, just make horse references <laughs> in the city <laughs> uh, last one i got for you here i do want to ask about the city itself and i always laugh when people would ask me this question about hamilton because the question is, what's the mood of, of the city, of the Stampeders fan base, all the rest? And whenever people would ask me that, I would imagine that they think I'm walking around like a stand-up comedian doing a bit for late-night television <laughs> with a microphone, like sticking a mic in people's faces. Go, How do you feel about the Stampeders? And then hoping that you get a funny answer and then, you know, back yeah. and forth we go. Uh, but I do have to ask the question because... People have noticed that the stands have been a oh, little up, little down, little back, little forth, uh, trying to feel it out. Is it because of COVID stuff, Alberta numbers? Is it because of return to play? Is it because there's other stuff to do? It's the summer. Every market has their challenges. And I'm not basing this strictly off of attendance numbers, but I'm just wondering, like, if this game doesn't go well for Calgary, Montreal comes in, a team that you're not used to seeing having a lot of success against the Stampeders, uh, Calgary's not used to losing consecutive games at home, three games at home, losing to teams from the East at home. Like all of these things are a little bit foreign. How do you, you gauge how people are feeling right now around this team? I mean, it's hard. Like Montreal games are upside down world for Calgary. Like, honestly, like it's, they always lose in Montreal last year, you know, like there was a fight between Winston McManus and Tommy Campbell that turned into an all-out brawl. Oh, before yeah. The game. I forgot about that. Yeah, Montreal won both games against Calgary in 2019. Yeah. So, like, um, and, like, I like, like, Montreal has a swagger to them, like, that yeah. I really, really like. And um, I think Calgary is much more, I don't want to say they're buttoned up, but I think that, like, Calgary is more of, like, a you know, we're a football team. We carry ourselves like that. And Montreal sort of seems to walk in and just talk trash and, like, try to get under their skin. And I, I, I do think it works a little bit at times. Um, so like, I'm really looking forward to this game because the upside down world suggests that everything I just said about Calgary not having the horses <laughs> means that it's going to go out and play great. Um, but it's all, they're always the biggest surprise in terms of like fan interest. I do think that, um, attendance is relevant. Um, I think Thursday night games in Calgary are tough. Thursday night games when there's smoke are tough. I like, honestly, like I'm from Ontario. So I know there's like, like I, I was participated in cottage culture and camp culture. It's different in a place where there's like 
nine nice weeks of summer. Like yeah. people want to get away on the weekends. They want to go to the manor. That's why you live here. So I always think like summer attendance is a little bit, it's going to be lower than you want it to be. Labor Day is where it gets going. Um, and then I'm also hesitant because I have commented a couple times just to friends. I was like, yeah, I don't see much presence in terms of, you know, billboard advertising or stuff like that around Calgary. I see less marketing than I'd expect. But I also know that like the Stampeders have really focused on digital marketing. So like maybe it's not a surprise that we see less of that because they're actually being smarter with how they market, their, use their marketing dollars. Um, like Labor Day is its own event. Labor Day is going to do great. People are going to be excited for Labor Day. Um, I don't know that there's a huge buzz right now um i'm my social media numbers are doing pretty well people seem to um well that's that. just because that's just because you're covering up sales of teams that's why <laughs> well that's yeah um again i like the funny thing about that is like i genuinely somehow i've become the guy who like says there's no sale i think there probably is like i think rod's on to something <laughs> like i want to be clear like i'm sure that if there was a buyer for this team there'd be a good chance that they'd sell who wants to foot the bill for a new stadium right now. Right. Like, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I don't like, I think there's an excitement among the fans. I am curious a Friday night game when the weather isn't great. I actually think that's better for the Stampeders than a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon where the weather is beautiful. Cause I think people will then go to the mountains. So we'll see, but I mean, it's just hard. Like what's going to, engage Calgary when you've had the last 10 years. People are just so used to success that, you know, I I, I think there's a sense of, like, same old, same old um, going into the season, and now I just it's hard to read, because if Jake Meyer, I mean, if he goes out to those for 450 yards, maybe that'll get people talking. But, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. But I, I don't see, I'm just not going to lie about it. Like, I, there's not a huge buzz. Yeah, yeah, it's totally fair, and I think we get that sense as well just watching on the television, and you wonder how that that can and everything usually ebbs and flows and man there's been uh there's been a lot of flows for calgary over the last <laughs> long time right so uh we'll see where it goes from here i do love your note there on the swagger of montreal though because i i think you have the same sense that i do my favorite thing to happen so far this year with montreal off the field is when almondo seal makes the comments of course about trevor harris and then in a herb zerkowski article he asked kahari jones like how do you feel about players talking about their opponent before a game coming up like that Kari just said I don't give a damn <laughs> that's got nothing to do with me he's like I'm focused on coaching my football team and I'm like that's such a great response because I can just I read the article and I I read it in Kahari Jones voice of him shrugging and doing exactly that through a zoom being like I couldn't care less that doesn't impact me at all he's just worried yeah. on the things that do and his team specifically on the field so and like know, yeah two things on that really quickly first of all Herb was here today, was in on the Zoom. Like, God, that guy's good. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, he's good. Just the way he asks questions just gets better answers than anybody else. Best in the business. Um, but secondly, like, that Montreal team, it's one of the things that threw out all the XFL talks when people said that the Montreal market is bad. The Montreal market is not bad. Mm -hmm. It's just they need you need a win. And, like, I, I've said this story a couple times. I was there in 2019 when it was a crazy game. But, like, the fans was, were packed with, like, a young, diverse crowd. Yep. And I just remember as the lights went down, they all started holding up their phones. It's like, I don't go to music festivals, but I guess that's a thing. It's so a I different it city, man. It's a different yeah. – like, and all they need is, like, cool jerseys and techno music, and they're good. And they're good. They're just going to have a <laughs> great time, and they're, like, they're going to, like – look good doing it the whole thing so like i'm actually like there's nothing that could be better for the cfl than 
honestly, this Montreal team getting hot early. I, yeah. I, I think it would be great. Um, I think it's too bad Hamilton's not performing because I would have loved a little bit of a Hamilton uh, Montreal rivalry, which we may still get because I think that Hamilton team has some swagger too. But yeah, it's it's exciting. It's good for the league that Montreal's off to the start that they have been off to. Whether yeah. It's, yeah. I'm with you on that. Uh, my favorite Herb Zerkowski moment, by the way, on a Zoom was this year in the preseason call for the Montreal Alouettes where he left himself on mute unintentionally. Uh, and then when he unmuted himself awkwardly five seconds later after someone said, oh, Herb, you're actually, you're on mute. He unmuted and he said, hmm, must have been the commissioner who kept me muted. And I was like, <laughs> it was just such an unwarranted shot. I was like, what is he doing? That has nothing to do with, he's on a Zoom call with like 30 other media people. And I'm like, I don't know who he was making that joke for. He's just doing it for himself to make himself happy. But I'm like, all right, man, whatever. Sounds good. But uh, Danny, keep doing what you're doing, man. I love catching up with you always. And I know it's going to be a lot of fun uh, for you writing about whatever the hell happens on Friday night there with our boy, Mayor. Man, it's going to be, honestly, like the Arbuckle stuff was so much fun when he came in. And like, look, I hope Jake Mayer or Michael O'Connor, who, you know. Who knows? One of the two, no, it's going to be Jake. But <laughs> if, if Michael gets in, I hope one of these, I hope they just, they show well for themselves. That's all I hope. It, it's yep. more fun, whether the Stamps win or lose, it's more fun to have like a young guy actually succeeding. So yeah, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Danny, thank you, man. I appreciate you. Peace, buddy. All of these. Always great to catch up with the one and only Danny Austin. If you can't tell because we've had him on the podcast twice in the last, I don't know, month-ish. I uh, really enjoy being able to talk football with him and enjoy the fact that he is doing real true journalism as a local source with local sources who is talking about things that matter to people in Calgary. But the funny thing about the Canadian Football League is, yes, it matters, of course, the most to people that are in and around the Stampeders and fans of that organization or sports in that area, but... The CFL, everybody that is interested in the well-being of the league likes seeing people like Danny succeed. And I hope that you will continue to read his work, support him in any way that you possibly can. Because what he is doing is not an industry that is exactly flourishing at this point. And anything you can do to support the people that you really do trust and enjoy being able to consume their work, the more you do it, the better off they are and the better off we all are, I think able to have people like Danny doing that important work. Are you geared up for game day? Head over to fox40shop.com for Fox 40 gear, whistles, and coaching boards. Use the code CFP15 to get 15% off of your order. Again, thank you to Fox 40 for everything they have done for us here. And of course, don't forget, get yourself some beer, sawdustcitybeer.com. Check out the wide variety of brews. Go to their website again, sawdustcitybeer.com and use the promo code CFL. Available to Ontario residents only. Must be of legal drinking age. Save yourself the 15 bucks and order yourself some fantastic beer. Week number three, already in full go right now. As you're listening to this, get yourself teed up for Friday Night Football. We'll see how Jake Mayer ends up looking. Then we go into Toronto against Winnipeg. Can the Bombers possibly move to 3-0? and Can they do it in its dominant fashion as they did in the first two weeks against Hamilton and Toronto at home? And of course... It's what Derek Taylor has called guaranteed win night. Saskatchewan hosting the Ottawa Red Blacks to end off week number three on Saturday evening out there in the prairies. We all thought it was guaranteed win night for Edmonton, too, in week one against the Ottawa Red Blacks, didn't we? No. A lot of us were very, very wrong about that one, and I am not shy to admit that I was one of them. Thanks for listening to the A Block. Have yourself a fantastic week number three in the CFL. We'll talk to you with Marsh and Mello coming up on Monday morning right here on Canadian Football Perspective.